It's one of those moments, you know, that, um, that I'm sure my parents would be laughing at. All of your parents would be laughing, and many of you would be laughing, too. If I told you that once in a while I have disagreements with my wife, <laughs> occasionally, and on such an occasion this week, My son, Bear, was watching as Ima and Abba tried to navigate this disagreement between them. And of course, being helicopter parents, although we know we're helicopter parents, so we're not really helicopter parents. <laughs> we're aware that our child is watching us have a disagreement. And of course, visions of therapists, you know, begin to arise in the mind how much money I have to put in the fund now. <laughs> but what was clear was this, that he was watching very, very carefully. That should come as no surprise. We all know that children are an antenna of sorts. They know everything that's going on, both spoken and unspoken, in the system called the family. But what was really amazing was that he was off the rest of the day. So by about two or three o'clock, he was just different. He just was different. And he came home, and my wife, in her courage, uh, broached it with him and said, Bear, are you upset? Because you saw Iman Abba having a disagreement. And he got the lower lip. They got all sad. And then we gave him big hugs and told him, you know, sometimes people disagree and it's okay and Iman and Abba still love each other and all of that. But we told him very directly, you know, we're sorry. So sorry that you felt that way. So sorry that it would go unspoken from early in the morning until two in the afternoon. So sorry that you had to process something that I imagine, that we all imagine it was difficult to process. And it really, it really stuck with me all week. It happened on Monday. And it stuck with me all week. Thinking about what a family is, how powerful a family can be, and how painful how painful it can be when you're in a family and things that should be spoken are not spoken. This week's Torah portion gives us a vivid insight into another chapter in the dynamic of the quintessential family, the covenantal family, the family of Abraham and his progeny, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we're told in this week's Torah portion that Leah had a name, Leah. They give the name, her name was Leah. And Rachel had a name, and her name was Rachel. And on that teaching, on that seemingly obvious description of their names, 
There's a Torah from the Ishbitzer Rebbe who writes, Isa ba Midrash, it is written in the Midrash, Shlosha Shemos Yeshla Adam. We all are given three names. Echad Masha Karulo Imo Aviv, the name that has been given to you by your parents. Echad Masha Korin Lo Bene Adam. And another name is a name that you are called by your contemporaries, by your friends. And one name is the name that you acquire for yourself. What is that name that we acquire for ourselves? We can talk about the name that we're given. We can talk about the name that people call us, how they know us in the world, how we are known, the various roles and titles and personae and masks that we wear as we walk in and out of our life. But what is the name that you and I, all of us here, acquire for ourselves? Wayne Euler was a brilliant writer, wrote in his very important book called The Legacy of the Heart, Spiritual Advantages of a, Sp of a Painful Childhood, which sounds funny, but it's actually amazing, amazing book. In our search for intimacy and trust with those we love, whether spouse, lover, friend, or family, there are really two and only two basic communication skills that we need. The first is that we are able to share information. And the second is that we are able to exchange care. Sharing information and exchanging care. He writes, when we skillfully share information, we are able to name our wants, our needs. We can speak what is in our heart and in a way that can be heard. We can exchange our thoughts and feelings with someone else and expect that they are really listening. We learn to speak clearly and precisely about what is precious, but also about what is difficult. And we share a common commitment along with our friends and partners, to listen together for what is true and necessary, to share information. When we exchange care, he writes, we name our love for one another without fear. We listen for what is painful or difficult and work together with those we love to make adjustments that will bring healing and peace. We may listen in a way that allows another to feel that our care is sincere and trustworthy. So here is our friend Jacob. Vayetze Yaakov mibe'er shava vayelech harana. And Yaakov leaves be'er shava. Jacob leaves his family of origin. A family that thus far, if I just need to bring you up to date, and as the Jacob family turns, this episode is Jacob has now deceived his brother out of both his birthright and his blessing. He has deceived his father. His mother has been involved in a plot. And now he is afraid for his life. Yaakov leaves Be'er Sheva. It doesn't say he went to this place called Haran. He leaves. And his leaving, says the Midrash, is a powerful leaving. He leaves. He get up, you could even say he escaped. Like Yitzhak Yaakov, he escapes Be'er Shava. He gets out. 
I remember 23 years old, and I had been ultra-Orthodox for five and a half years. And in that place that I had been, in the toxicity that I felt I was imbibing, I remember going home, and it was Sukkot, and everybody was gathered around the table, and I said to my parents, if I don't get out right now, I'm going to die. If I don't get out of this place that I'm in, I got to get out. I picked up, I packed a bag, I walked myself over to the Long Island Railroad, and I was in the city. And we all, all of us here have our Vayetzes. And all of us visit our Vayetzes. But then, follow this with me. He goes to Haran. What is Haran? It's nowhere. You could say it's nowhere, but it's really somewhere, and it's important where that somewhere is. What is Haran? To the biblical ear, if you're reading the story of the Bible, and you hear he's going to Haran, what do you think? Who came from Haran? Where it all started. With whom? His father's father's father. The very place that his own father said he was not allowed to go. Right? Abraham forbade Yitzhak from ever going. So Jacob's father was never allowed to go back to Haran. You can't ever go back to that neighborhood. I'm never letting you go back. When my father and his brother and, my, and his family came over from Germany in 1938, my grandmother made him swear you will never go back to Germany. Never. Never. And here's Jacob. He's escaping the family and going back to the family. Escaping the family to go back to the family. It's not hard to empathize to some degree with Jacob, the heel sneak, as his name really means, the sneaky one, the conniving one, the one who can't be direct, the one who was never, ever engaged in a frontal relationship with his own father, the one who never had the exchange of care and concern, the simple question of how you're feeling, the one who never heard the information sharing that he needed. It's very, it's very obvious that Jacob is doing excavation on his life. There's a secret in the family and Jacob's got to find it. Jacob's going back to Haran because any secret in his family that isn't exposed and expressed and seen for what it is will inhibit their ability to share love, care, and concern. They will not be in intimate relations until Jacob has finally uncovered what has been covered. And Jacob is all of us. Jacob is, writ large, the navigation of secrets wherever they are found in a society that values cover-up over transparency. Jacob is doing the work of each and every one of us trying to get to the bottom of what it is that liberates, that recovers, and discovers who we really are. I think T.S. Eliot should be the one who will take us into the Alenu. He wrote a poem called The Naming of Cats. He wrote, The naming of cats is a difficult matter. 
It isn't just one of your holiday games. You may think at first I'm as mad as a hatter when I tell you a cat must have three different names. First of all, there's the name that the family uses daily, such as Peter, Augustus, Alonzo, or James, such as Victor, or Jonathan, George, or Bill Bailey, all of them sensible, everyday names. There are fancier names, if you think they sound sweeter, some for the gentlemen, some for the dames, such as Plato, Amadeus, Electra, Demeter. But all of them sensible, everyday names. But I tell you, a cat needs a name that's particular, a name that's peculiar and more dignified. Else, how can he keep up his tail perpendicular or spread out his whiskers or cherish his pride? Of names of this kind, I can give you a quorum such as Munkenstrap, Quaxo, or Koikopat, such as Bombalarina or else Jellylorum, names that never belong to more than one cat, but above and beyond, there's still one name left over, and that is the name that you never will guess, the name that no human research can discover, but the cat himself knows and will never confess. When you notice a cat in profound meditation, the reason I tell you is always the same. His mind is engaged in a rapt contemplation of the thought of the thought of his name, his ineffable, effable, effinable, effable, effable, deep and inscrutable, singular name. So the name that we acquire, everyone, is the name that comes with facing what we turn away from. The name that we acquire is a name we can't share with anyone, but we know it ourselves. So on this road tonight towards the name Yisrael, which will be given next week, we can pray that God help us discover, uncover, recover those places in our life that will bequeath us and form that ineffable name that is yours alone. <laughs>